I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Having a 37-year-old in Cincinnati. And all the only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? Yeah! Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up to the layup. Oh, blocked by James. Episode 66 of the DNC Podcast Monday Edition. I hope you guys have enjoyed kind of the different structure we've gone with um, these last two episodes. We're having a, a blast doing it. Dust, how you doing today on this Monday? I've never been so excited to be wrong in my life. Um, you know, I picked the Packers and the Bills <laughs> on Friday's pod, and um, I thought it was legit reasons, but seeing Brady win, yeah, of course. you know, um, I, I just, I don't understand how anybody... Maybe you did it on purpose for like some reverse I, psychology. I guess, like how myself or... I mean, I never vote against Brady, right? I always think that Brady has a chance. And I think Sunday's game showed why, because even when the math, the analytics, the data, everything you watch says, hey, it doesn't make sense to vote for Brady. You have to vote for Brady. You have to assume he's going to find a way to gut it out because, I mean, you can look at stat after stat after stat, but one of the funniest ones I saw yesterday is Aaron Rodgers Drew Brees have a combined 31 seasons in the NFC. They each have one NFC championship game. Brady's one for one. I mean, it's crazy. There's so, I mean, and we're not talking about like bum quarterbacks here. We're talking about top 10 quarterbacks. You can maybe make a case, not by like achievements, but by talent. Rogers is probably a top five talent in the history of the league. And Brady's just like, hey, like, hold my beer. Like, I'm going to go to my 10th Super Bowl in 21 years. It's yeah. absolutely incredible it defies every odds in sports and he's doing it in the toughest sport at the toughest position right now uh, dude everything you just said was so beautifully said and you know another stat that i saw so tommy is the second starting quarterback ever to win both the afc and the nfc joining craig morton former dallas cowboy shout out to uh, a dallas cowboy and then uh so and then brady would be the first ever to win a super bowl in both the afc and the nfc it's like it's such a Tom Brady thing because, like I said it to you last night, I was like, it's because we were FaceTiming and, you know, when the game ended and stuff. And I was like, of course it's Tom to be the first to ever play a home game in the Super Bowl. Like, of course it is. Like, it doesn't surprise me one bit. Like, he is constantly breaking records. He's constantly, you know, paving the way, being a trailblazer. And um, it's just amazing. I sent you a picture of Bruce Arians and Tommy after they won and I just sent it to you and I put quote Bruce was saying to Tommy saying thank you for saving me this entire season because I mean look I and then I'll be the first to admit I don't even feel like Tom played well the last two weeks like he he played well the first half of yesterday's game and the second half was really rough but I mean I don't know, man. This I think this is the matchup everybody wanted to see. I mean, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, the future versus, you know, the GOAT. And um, I think a lot of people feel like the Chiefs are kind of invincible and they're immortal and they can't lose. Um, I think Tommy's proven already in this playoff that they can go on the road and they can beat teams that everybody think is better than them. I mean, nope, nobody thought they would beat the Saints. They got blown out two games in a row. What this matchup reminds me of is when I see Kansas City, 
I, I see Golden State, you know, three years back when they had Durant and the only person that can almost beat them is themselves. And what I mean by that is they have so much talent when they're clicking on all cylinders, like we saw against the Bills. I mean, they were a different team than a team that almost lost to Cleveland with Mahomes in the game, right? And then Mahomes comes out and, and Chad Henney wins it. But they were so like up and down, even a lot of this season, where it kind of reminded me of Golden State, where it's like sometimes they have so much talent that they take their foot off the gas pedal. And then when I see Brady, it's like LeBron. Like LeBron goes from the east to the west and continues his dominance, wins another championship. And I think what I've always thought was so special about LeBron is if you give LeBron a tied game or a one-score game with two minutes left, he has such a high basketball IQ that he just knows how much time to use each possession, how to manipulate the shot clock, how to get people involved, and and chronologically go through those last two minutes like no one I think we've ever seen in the history of the NBA. That's the same with Brady. Even though Brady had a bad second half, when we got when he got the ball back, you just knew like he knows Rodgers can't get the ball back. And no matter what he has to do, he's going to use the clock to the best of his ability. And that's, I think that's what's so special about Brady is it's not that he's always had the most arm talent. It's not that he's been the most athletic, right? We all know his famous combine picture, right? It's the fact that situationally, I feel like Brady knows the game better than any quarterback to ever play. And because of that, if it's a close game, his team always has a chance. Yeah, no, I mean, he watches so much film. So it's like, of course, he's he's... He's a consummate professional. He's a true student of the game, like in every sense of the word. You know, you, you hear that a lot. You hear it thrown around in the NFL. And I, I think if Mahomes can take a page out of Tommy's playbook, that's the thing I would take out the most is like be a student of the game because he's super talented. But, you know, you, there's going to come a point in Mahomes' career where like he's not going to be able to throw 80 yards rolling to his right. I mean, it's just not going to be physically possible and so I mean we saw last night you and I were laughing because uh, there was a play where Tommy there was a blitz off the edge uh, to his front side and he couldn't step into the throw and he, that was his first of three interceptions in the second half and um, I mean Mike Evans had the corner beat I think it was Jair Alexander and I was like man if he just literally gets that ball out in front like that's six and you're like he couldn't get it man like he didn't have enough arm strength and it's not, and Tom's, I feel like Tom's arm is still really strong at 43, but he's obviously not the same guy at 43 that he was at 29, you know? And so, but I think it, what's allowed him to play as long as he has is to your point. He's, he knows the game. Like there's nothing that is going to surprise Tom. Like there's absolutely nothing you can throw at him. But I kind of want to talk a little bit about their defense. Cause that's something you and I've been really like, and I know that was one of your reasons and it was very valid for being skeptical about picking Tampa was because of their defense. We didn't know what defense was going to show up. Like it was going to be the top five defense that Tampa, you know, has the potential to be and is at a lot of, you know, stages of the season, or were they going to be the defense that was going to get blown out by New Orleans twice? So I just kind of think that let's chat about it because they, they had, they played a heck of a game. I mean, the fact that, like, if you if you told me, hey, like, I'm going to throw three picks in the in the second half and we're going to still win this game against Rodgers, like, you got to be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, they did such a great job making the Packers one-dimensional. And although the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, 
ever since Matt LaFleur has taken over that head coaching job, they've wanted to be a run-dominant team, and they've done a really good job of that. And we watched last week versus the Rams. The Rams did a too-high safety shell for the majority of the game, and the Packers completely took advantage of that. And from a schematic standpoint, what the Bucks did was really similar. It's just their front seven really stood up. And they completely controlled the line of scrimmage. That's a good point. Aaron Jones really didn't have any impressive runs in the first half, and then he had that fumble in the second half. Um, and he didn't play the, the rest of the game. And so right. the Packers, from from that standpoint, you knew they were going to pass the ball because they couldn't run the ball. And then besides Devontae, there's no one really on the Packers roster. And we've talked about this. like This is still the mystery of drafting Jordan Love because once you get down to the red zone, you just double Devontae. I mean, you look at that last time the Packers had the ball and they decided to kick the field goal on fourth down. They had three shots at the end zone from the nine-yard line, and it was three plays back-to-back-to-back to Devontae Adams. And at that point, that's what the Bucks defense knows. And so you're, you're going to double Devontae with the safety on the outside or the inside corner. They even had a linebacker spy him for a majority of the game. And so that's what's hard about the Packers' offense is – if you can find a way to take Devonte out of the game and you can shut down their run game, you're really not leaving Rodgers a lot of options. The reason I thought the Packers had a really good chance is nobody's really consistently been able to stop both their run game and Devonte. And you know the Bucks did an absolute, absolutely phenomenal job. Now, in two weeks, that's when it gets interesting because it's not just Devonte Adams. You have Travis Kelsey. You have Tyree Kill. And, you know, you have a plethora of running backs who can kind of fill in the gaps. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will probably be back by the Super Bowl, right? You have Le'Veon Bell, who went from being a top five running back in the NFL, what, three years ago to you forget he's on the Chiefs roster half the time. Yeah, but that's the talent, true. I think, that's has to still be there. He's the one guy that I can't really get what's going on because when he signed with the Chiefs, we all thought, oh, my gosh, like Le'Veon's back. Right. And he really hasn't done much. But Tampa's defense, I mean, for missing, you know, Antonio Winfield um, Jr. for that game. Yeah, Antoine. They're strong safety. Sorry, Antoine Winfield. I think Antonio's his dad. Um, Who, you know, is in the running for defensive player of the year. He's such a physical run safety that he was kind of, in my mind, going to be the X factor in this game defensively. And so he was out. And so they were already at that deficit. So, you know, they're linebacking core with Levante uh, Levante David and Devin White, so yep. explosive, yep. so good against the pass. They move so good vertically. They're going to be the key to their success, um, you know, versus Kansas City in two weeks because I thought they played dominant roles this last Sunday versus Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones and kind of stifling that Packers offense. Yeah, and their defensive line's absurd. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul, and then they got Shaq Barrett, uh, Nandamakan Sue. I mean, they've got they've got an unbelievable front seven, and so. If I'm if if I'm Todd Bowles, I'm taking a page right out of the two games. I'm watching the Raiders games, like both of those games that the Chiefs played, because they had Mahomes figured out both games, and they easily could have won both games. And so, and I think personnel wise, like it's obvious, Tampa's way better defensively personnel wise. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's here's the thing: it's not impossible to stop Kansas City. I mean, what what? And I said this, I think, uh, last week's show because we were talking, you know, about the AFC Championship. Like, what what's really kind of I don't even know if concerning is the right word, but you know, Sean McDermott is a great, great defensive mind. But I mean, they hung thirty eight on the Bills last night, and so 
if I'm a Bills fan, it's like, hey, great season, made it to the AFC Championship. You know, you're one game away from the Super Bowl. So it's like, I don't know. I, mean, I know there's not really moral victories at this point. You know, you're trying to, you're definitely trying to win the whole deal. But look, they had a great season. And you're very rarely going to win a game when a team hangs 38 on you. It's just, it's just the reality. So my, my thing is, is that when I look at this Buffalo game and this Kansas city game, I'm like, Josh Allen, you know, that was one of my question marks last week. You know, was he going to be the guy that we've seen the last, you know, few weeks, really all season, except for that one game in Kansas city. And he, he didn't play horrible, horribly, but he didn't, step up to the level that it was like, Hey, I'm going to carry the team. But at the same time, like I give him the benefit of the doubt, because like I said, it's hard to come, come back down, you know, when you're, when a team puts 38 on you. So, um, you know, I I don't, I don't know really, I don't know if it was a player personnel issue, but I just, I I would, I, I expected more from Sean McDermott in that game. I think what's so interesting to me when I was watching that game defensively is from a matchup standpoint or a pure talent standpoint, some of the defensive backs on Buffalo, I actually thought were really good matchups to kind of try to stifle what Kansas city does. Like Shadravius white is one of the best, I'd say probably a top five lockdown corner in the NFL. And I don't think there's anyone man for man that can run with Tyree kill, but he's a physical player. And I'm like, if this guy follows Tyree oh, yeah, no kill doubt. and plays bump with him the whole game, I think that you have a really good chance to kind of stifle him to an extent. And then there's, Safeties on the back half, both Michael Hyde and Jordan Poyer, I think are one of the best safety duos in the NFL. And Micah Hyde is great at playing the ball, and he's physical. I think he's like 6'2", 6'3". He's a big guy, and so I'm like, all right, he can kind of match up with Travis Kelsey. Jordan Poyer over the top can kind of play that free safety role. And I'm like, you know, that's probably what they're going to do. And then watching that game, it looked like their game plan was, hey, we're going to focus on everybody besides Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. I mean, both guys had over 120 yards. I think Travis Kelsey had eight grabs, Tyreek Hill had nine grabs. I mean, that last – go ahead. Yeah, so they're the first They're the first duo in playoff history to have back-to-back 100-yard yeah, games. And I understand that like it's together like – together in the same well, game. Yeah, no doubt you want to try to take them out. And no, obviously, like, they're good, so it's going to be hard – but it just seemed from watching that game, there wasn't like an emphasis on taking them out. And so for me, or at least one of them, like if you want to let Tyreek Hill run wild and you want to stop Travis Kelsey, all right, or vice versa, but you can't stop both. And I think although Travis, although Tyreek Hill is really explosive and he's a big play guy, if there's one guy you want to shut down in Kansas City offense, in my mind, it's Travis Kelsey because he's a safety blanket for Mahomes. He's a guy that Mahomes looks to when it's third down and seven, when he's kind of on the scramble. And so for me, that's what Tampa has to figure out in this matchup on Sunday. They have to figure out, hey, how do we stop Travis Kelsey? Because if we don't stop that guy, it's going to be really tough for them to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you're Sean McDermott, you know those are their two focal points of that offense. It, like McCole Hardman's not going to beat you. Sammy Watkins is not going to beat you. Uh, those guys are solid players, but the, their two main guys that they got the ball are Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. So I, again, I'm not saying, hey, that's like an easy task or that, you know, of course it's way easier said than done, but you just can't let both of them go over hundred yards. Um, you know, so again, that was, that was a little, that was a little concerning for me um, or disappointing, I guess would be the proper word because 
I, I see Sean McDermott as probably one of, if not the most brilliant defensive minds in football. And um, yeah, just in, in that magnitude of a game, like I think that's where you, you know, you think of a guy like Bill Belichick, who is, you know, definitely seen as the greatest football coach of all time and probably the greatest defensive mind of all time. And it just seems like, you know, in the playoffs each week, he always had a great game plan for the teams that you guys were facing. And he knew exactly what they were doing, who they were trying to get the ball to. And, you know, it's like, so when I watch a game like yesterday, I go, did like, it's one of two things, either your game plan was really poor or you just didn't execute your game plan. I mean, that's really the only thing it could have come down to, Um, you know, and I think it's obvious that it definitely was not executed well, but also I kind of go, man, you know, I I understand that those guys are always going to get theirs on some level, but you can't, you can't let both of them go over a hundred yards when you know, those are the two guys they want to get the ball to. So anyway, let's transition to Tommy, man. I know we talked a little bit about him in the beginning, you know, we dropped a few stats, but I want you to kind of just take the floor on this. Um, you know, we talked a lot yesterday about him and just his accomplishments. And, you know, you, you brought up something really great, which was, you know, we were talking about the length of time that he's been in the NFL, um, you know, 21 seasons, and he's now making his 10th appearance. So he's, he's literally almost at 50% um, of the time that he's been in the NFL. He's been to a Super Bowl, which is just unbelievable to even think. I think the craziest stat to look at when you talk about Tom is the gap between Super Bowl three and Super Bowl four? Because everyone wants to talk about the fact that he has six rings, right? And it's really impressive, right? In general, but so he wins in 2002, 2003, and then 2005, right? So at that point, you're like, he's on a roll. And then there's a 10 year gap, and you only make two in that 10 year gap. So, right, you lose two to the Giants. Um, I'm still trying to find out, like, and think about which one's more devastating to me. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, right? <laughs> that's a, hard, that's them, a great question, actually. It teams They're undefeated, both absolutely right? But I think the second one was almost more devastating because it took a while to get back. You know what I mean? Like, And at that point, I think a logical person's thinking, like, could this be his last one? Because it had been a minute at that point, right? And then you get to 2015. And this is what's so great about New England Super Bowls is, like, they all come down to the wire. Like that Super Bowl versus Seattle where you have the ball on the one-yard line and all you really have to do is give the ball to Marshawn Lynch and you throw a slant there. So that's so that's 2015, right? So basically 100%. The football gods right? were with so Tommy. So 10-year gap between sure. that, one, that one. And then you beat Atlanta, <laughs> which is probably my favorite Super Bowl of all time. I mean, 28-3. to Incredible. Wait, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I don't mean to mess you up, but I just real quick, I want to go back for just a second and then continue on the Atlanta one. I want to talk about this for a quick second because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, the Seahawks lost that game. Tom didn't win it or the Patriots didn't win it. Do people forget literally the year before Peyton got absolutely destroyed by the Seahawks? Because that was like those two years, those two to three years, like that Seahawks defense was insane, right? The Legion of Boom. But Denver got absolutely – it was one of the worst Super Bowls I've ever seen. And then the next year – you got Tommy playing the Seahawks and you, you know, Russell Wilson's a year older. He's, he's more mature and the game came down to the wire. So anyway, I, everybody always talks about Peyton being better than Tom. I think there's some proof right there. No, I mean, there's a lot of proof, but that's, that's pretty obvious. No, that game was great. I mean, 
watching that game, I'm like, oh crap, did the Patriots score too soon? And then you're kind of thinking like, oh, they did. And then even when they got that pick, you're on the one yard line. So you're like, you got to at least get a yard, right? Because I mean, to your point, that Seattle defense was nasty. So you're like, if they get a safety here and they get a punt, short field, possible field goal. So that one. Wasn't that when Gronk like started punching uh, um, Michael Bennett? It may have And they get in like a fist fight? Then he came to the Patriots and won a Super Bowl. So it's all love there. But um, that one was crazy. Like the, it was just so like instant where you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to lose again. We lost our third in a row to, oh my gosh, we're going to win this one, right? And then you go to the Falcons game. Going into that Super Bowl, you feel like you're going to win it, right? No one was really going with Atlanta. All the money was with New England. And Atlanta starts fast. I mean, fast. And the Patriots do nothing the first half. It's 28 to 3. I'm getting text after text from friend, acquaintance, distant relative uh, that I didn't yes. even know I knew. And all I'm responding <laughs> back is with the goat emoji. Like that's it. Like I'm not I'm not entertaining any of it. And Oh, that's a flex. You know, to be honest, you asked me yesterday, like, how did you feel about that game? And I'm like, honestly, the only thing that concerned me is we needed two two point conversions. So it's not the three touchdowns, yeah. it's the fact that you need the touchdowns and the conversions. Because there's just something about Matty Ice in the playoffs, that's not very icy. Like, Matty Ice is really good in September. He's all right in October. And then once November, December, January hits, he's, he's just a different animal. And so that one was epic. And then, you know, you have the collapse to the Eagles, Nick Foles. Um, that, that's a tough one. And then the Rams game. That's, that's tough on The me. Rams one, which is probably the most boring Super Bowl of all time. But, I mean, yep. it still counts, right? So... That's six right there. But just I think the the gap between is what's so impressive. And I think that's when we look at other quarterbacks like, hey, who's ever going to get to six? You know, that's where it gets really, really difficult because it's not like right, right. It's not like Brady wasn't making the playoffs or he wasn't in like AFC championship games, right? He was. It's just they get to the Super Bowl when everybody knows what you do. And I think the other thing about like New England is like everybody knew the Patriots game plan going into every game. Everyone knew what Brady has done because there's no film on any other quarterback more than Tom Brady because the guy's played for 21 years. And so it's not like you're, exactly. you're not surprising people at this point, right? We see a lot of times a team that makes a Super Bowl is you know their second year That's or their first point. year because nobody knows what they're doing. You know what you're going to get with Brady. You know what you're going to get with the New England defense because it's consistently they've been there. So you're not, you're not surprising anybody. Everyone's expecting you to be a good team and you – like the, what's crazy about New England and Tom Brady is they've consistently overachieved for 20 years. Like you expect them, the expectations we have on New England were like Golden State-esque, but that was a three, four-year window. Like for 21 years, the expectation for New England and Tom Brady was uh, 11 wins, AFC championship game, potential Super Bowl, and they overachieved. Like... Yeah. Tom Brady yeah, has as sure. many Super Bowls as any other franchise in the history of football. I, I saw, I forget what radio yeah. show, I don't know if it was Dan uh, Patrick yeah. or Collins, Colin Coward <laughs> or someone, but they're like, Tom Brady is a top three organization in football. Like yeah. you have like the Cowboys, you have the Steelers, you have the Patriots, and then you have Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady alone is an organization where you look at what he's done with the different coaching staff. Because, yeah, obviously they've had Bill Belichick, but he said, what, five or six offensive coordinators? They constantly have defensive coordinators and assistant plucked and picked to other organizations, whether it's college or the NFL. And what does he do? 
11 wins in New England. Oh, well, he's a system guy. Well, he went to a new system in Tampa, a franchise that has historically been atrocious, right? And what do they do? 11 wins. Yep. You know, don't win the division, so you're on the road for every playoff game. You have an extra playoff game this year. You go to Washington. Oh, Washington has a great D-line. They get in the quarterback's face. That's where Tommy struggles. Wasn't an issue there. You go to New Orleans. Oh, best, most complete roster in the NFL. Wasn't an issue there. You go to the Packers. Back-to-back 13 wins. Back-to-back NFC championships. Wasn't an issue there. Now you're playing Kansas City. You know, it's crazy. Isn't it funny that his... His one home game this entire playoffs is in the Super Bowl. That's hilarious to me, honestly. It's funny. That's a flex. <laughs> but no, I. It's just so wild to me that you know because I, I I mentioned it to you yesterday when we were chatting. But it you know it it's very to me it's very disrespectful um, that people still feel like you know now now I'm not hearing the Bill Belichick comparison where it's like oh Bill's the reason he won all those rings. Now people are saying oh well the media's you know, created this beast, this beast that is Tom Brady, the goat, but really he's not, he's not the goat. And it's like, you realize you're talking about the most difficult position in all of sports, not just the NFL, a guy that's done it for 20 plus years. And in 21 years, he's been to 10 Super Bowls. Like that's not because of the media, like stop being foolish, stop being an idiot. Like I love how Nick Wright said, and I'm calling him out because, you know, it's like all these guys sell their souls to be on television. And I understand that we're a nobody compared to their show. But I think what you guys can come to respect about ours is that, you know, we're honest. Like we don't, we're not trying to say something just so that you go, man, like I want to come back next week or or on Friday to hear the crazy thing they're going to say then. It's like, that's how most of the shows are. And I remember like perfectly that Nick Wright said, I kind of saw this happening because the last four weeks of the season, you know, Tampa's schedule was was relatively weak and they were going to probably go on a four game winning streak and finish with 11 wins. And, you know, everybody's going to be talking about them as the hottest team in football. You know, he's like, but if they draw Washington in the in the wild card round, you know, they're going to lose to Washington. Well, Nick, hate to break it to you. They're in the Super Bowl, bro. And um, I heard people even saying like, I heard people saying they weren't even a playoff team. I'm like, okay, are we, are we at this point? Are we just going, Hey, I'm going to say whatever I want on air because I genuinely just want to get ratings. And, um, but like I have no fruit to back it or any evidence to back my claim. Like there's so much evidence to back the claim that you can't ever bet against Tom Brady. Like I'm not saying that it's a guarantee that he was going to get here, but I said it last week. I'm like, I'm not like, I almost picked, Green Bay because I was like, man, offensively, like they've been clicking, like they've, and they almost did in the second half. That was the Green Bay offense that I'd come to know the last few weeks. And, but I just went, you know what? I can't do it. Like I, I will not bet against LeBron and I will not bet against Tom Brady until they both retire. And, um, and you shouldn't either. I mean, this guy's the greatest to ever do it 100%. It's not, I even- think what's so impressive is like, what he did and what the Bucks have done, like it doesn't happen in football. Like we see it in basketball where a star switches teams because one player can be so dominant. Because you're talking about a sport that, you know, yes, you have sequences of plays you run based upon like alignment in the half court, but you're not calling a play every single time at the line of scrimmage. And so you normally don't see a, a guy, a quarterback, go to a team and 
make them a championship contender. I mean, the only person I can think of was Denver, but all Denver really needed was a quarterback. Like they had already proven that they had a really good defense and they were like, they were a really good roster. There weren't really any questions with this Tampa roster. It's basically the same roster. It won seven games, dude, last year. That won seven (laughs) games last year with Jameis Winston. And it's like, the other funny thing for Tom is like, you know, I understand like, you know, I, I think LeBron's the greatest of all time, but people, you know, make the case for for MJ because he's 6-0. and But then, you know, the defense to LeBron is, well, LeBron's been to nine finals. Well, Brady's been to 10, bro. He's been to 10 and he's won six of them, right? Has a chance at seven. So it's like LeBron's, you know, been to nine. He's three for six. Brady's been to nine this far and he's six for, you know, six for three. So it's like... No matter what standpoint you want to put at it, I mean, the guy's made a Super Bowl, you know, every other year in his career, 10 for 21. Like, when you think about that and you think about, like, well, who's going to catch him, right? So Mahomes is at number two, right? Let's say you want Mahomes to win six. Well, then you better win this year, buddy, because if you don't win this year, I realize right now you think nobody's going to catch Kansas City. Well, when New England won in 2002, in 2003 and 2005, nobody was going to catch New England. And at that point, the AFC was pretty weak. You had the Pats, you had the Colts, and you had the Steelers. And it took Brady 10 years to win another one. And so you look at the AFC now, yeah, Kansas City's riding high. But you made a great point. I'm not sure if it was on air last week or if we we're just chatting about it with like the Bills. You know, part of the reason you picked Kansas City this week was like it's the Bills' first year really being at this level, right? And so sometimes it takes, you know, a quarterback like Josh Allen, like you get to the AFC championship, like Mahomes did versus Brady, you lose it and you kind of learn from that right, loss. Right. But the Bills, in my mind, you know, this is a really big offseason for them defensively, right? Can they get a little bit more help in the secondary? Maybe a linebacker that plays a pass a little bit better, a good edge rusher, but they're going to be there. You look at Cleveland. You know, although we're not the highest on Baker, it's a great roster. They're going to be back. They're going to be a playoff team. Steelers, like, they still won 11 games. What are they going to do offensively? Is, ben, is Big Ben going to be there? Is Dwayne Haskins the next up-and-coming quarterback star? That's a joke, guys. I promise uh, that's a joke. It. But they're a good roster. Tomlin's kept them competitive. You know, the Ravens still have are Tennessee. Deep. And then I think the biggest – yeah, and I think the biggest wild card is where does Deshaun Watson go? Like, if Deshaun goes to Dallas – I'm not Dallas, the Dolphins. I mean, you love them in Dallas, but Deshaun <laughs> goes to the Dolphins, right? They're probably a playoff team. Yep, They're a team 100%. that can, you know, make a run. Where does Matty Stafford go? Does he go to New England and then, you know, maybe the Patriots have a good draft? I mean, there's so much movement that can right. happen that it's not a guarantee. Uh, that's a great point. I mean, that's and that's what people don't get. Like if you look, if you look historically at dynasties, that's why what you guys did, what the Pats did over the course of Tommy's tenure is never going to be done again. Like it's never going to take place ever in my opinion because it was like the here's here's my point. The NFL what makes it difficult that's different from the NBA. You have way more people obviously. Like you have way more players. So you have like 50 plus guys. Okay, I know you have a practice squad and everything. You got 53. In the NBA, I mean, what do you have? Like 12 to 15 guys, okay? In the NFL, from year to year, like, yeah, you might keep some core guys, but your team is different every single year, every single year. So that to me is what's so impressive because, I mean, typically your one constant is your quarterback. Like if you have a franchise quarterback, by the way, every Philadelphia Eagles fan and the media and the front office listen to this. When you have a franchise quarterback, 
you typically keep him for his entire career unless he gets to the very end. Like obviously the rare situation here with Tommy, but you know, you look at Brett Favre, you know, these guys leave because they're old and the team needs to move on. They need to rebuild, like whatever it is they need to do. And, um, and so it makes it really difficult when really your only mainstay is like maybe a couple offensive linemen and your quarterback. And so it's, I understand that everybody just wants to say, oh, like, well, Mahomes is different. This team is so talented and they are, and you're right. But at the same time, it's not a shoe in like to be in the Super Bowl, you know, half of your career, let alone win them. I mean, that's the thing, like, we very easily, and we've said this, we very easily could be talking right now about Patrick Mahomes being in a second straight Super Bowl, having lost last year. I mean, he played horrible. He played absolutely horrible in that game. So it just because they're talented, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, no look passes, all that stuff. Super Bowl is a completely different level of play. And, um, and so I, I think it's really foolish of somebody to say, oh yeah, like it's, you know, Patrick's going to have six or seven. It's like, you realize like we did the math yesterday. He's 25. So let's say he plays till 37, 38. Okay. So that's like another 12, 13 years. Um, he, he's going to have to win almost half at this point. Like if he, if he doesn't win this year, like literally he's going to have to win half just to tie just about. Right. So I just think that, we- and I think the crazy thing about that is like, what does Reed have five more years? Like, I think Patrick Mahomes is great. Like, I think right now there's probably not another quarterback to take versus Patrick Mahomes. But when you look at like, what is his career trajectory going to be like? When Patrick Mahomes is going to show where he ranks as an all-time great quarterback, it's when Travis Kelsey's no longer a threat in three years. And Tyreek Hill's not there because so much of what he does is off the cusp. And I think that's what makes Brady so great. And that's the reason Brady, regardless of player personnel, right? You had, you know, the Randy Moss, Wells Walker days. You had the Brady, Gronk, Aaron Hernandez days. You had the Gronk and Julian. You had the crapshoot of receivers. He had his last three years in New England. You have, you know, the talent he has right now in Tampa it's been his pre-snap adjustments, his reading of the defense. It's been his game preparation that's had him be so excellent for 21 years. Where when you look at Patrick Mahomes, all the plays we talk about about Patrick Mahomes are, you know, the underhand pass he had to Travis Kelsey at the three-yard line. It's the off-script plays to Tyreek Hill. And they're exciting and they're fun to watch. But at some point, like half of the reason those play work is because of the other person on the side of the football. You know, if you're throwing that underhand pass to Austin Hooper, it's different than Travis Kelsey. If you're throwing that underhand pass to Nikhil Harry, it's different than Tyreek Hill. It's a different animal. And I think that's the part of Patrick Mahomes where, like, he's probably the most talented quarterback in the NFL right now from an arm strength standpoint, from his, for his ability to be able to like manipulate how he throws footballs from different weird angles, right hand, left hand, looking, not looking. It's really impressive, but he right. hasn't had to 100% play the quarterback position like other people because of his natural talent as well as the talent on the field with him. Well, and I think too, I'll just say this last point and then we'll transition, but I don't think anybody would have thought that Aaron Rodgers would only have one Super Bowl at 37. Because think about it, a lot of people talked about Aaron Rodgers throughout the course of his career, very similarly that they're talking about Patrick Mahomes. It's it's 
I mean, the correlation between the two is pretty, pretty appalling to be honest with you, but it's because this is new. Like we've been watching Rogers for over a decade. You know, this is the new flashy toy. So of course people think it's different, but people have talked about Rogers like this. I mean, Stephen A has talked about Rogers. Like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread just about every day for the last at least five to seven years. And so I don't think anybody would have thought at 37, he'd only have not only just one Super Bowl, but one Super Bowl appearance. He's been to five NFC championships. So I I, I think people take for granted not only what Tommy's done, that's obvious, but they take for granted how hard it is to win in the NFL and how hard it is to get to the big dance because, yes, the Chiefs have been to -to back-to-back, and that's great, and that's awesome, but – it's just not going to be the norm. It's just not like history has already told us that there's no way they're just going to be in a Super Bowl every year of his career. So there's no guarantee he's even healthy, you know, for the next 12 to 13 years. I mean, Tommy missed the whole season. So there's no guarantees in football, man. That's that's kind of the tough one there. Um, but anyway, we're going to we'll go ahead and transition and talk about Matt Stafford because he's a guy that both Dustin and I really, really like. And there's kind of been breaking news, you know, a few days back about him in the uh, front office of the Detroit Lions sitting down and talking and, and coming to an agreement saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and part ways, which I, I think everybody saw coming. Um, so what are what are some potential landing spots that not just you think are potential landing spots, but what you actually think would be the best fit for him? I mean, first off, I want to start off by saying I think it's really cool that Detroit's doing this for Stafford because when you look at it from Detroit's standpoint, you have a new head coach, right? You have a lot of young talent. And yes, like you're technically in a rebuild point, but ideally if you're Detroit, you're not going to have a better quarterback than Stafford, right? And so for them to be like, you know what, you've gone through you know, the shredder for us the past decade, we want to give you a chance to, you know, compete for a Super Bowl, I think is really commendable. And I think Stafford, he's one of those guys that have been like a class act. I remember people were talking about what was so impressive was week 17, he was battling through a number of injuries. Detroit's out of the playoffs. There's nothing really needed for them to win that game, but he wanted to be out there with his troops and fight and compete. And so I think Matty Stafford, in my mind, he's probably – the second best quarterback prospect I've seen since Andrew Luck, like Stafford, I think Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee podcast a few weeks back said like, Hey, there's a guy in Detroit who wears number nine. That's been doing what Patrick Mahomes has been doing the past 15 years. It's just his team hasn't been winning football games. And so he's not getting that credit, but he no looks sidearms. I mean, he played a game where he dislocated his shoulder, popped it back in throwing arm, Played in the rest of the game. I think it was for the Browns and led a game-winning drive. I mean, he's the ultimate warrior. He has top three arm talent. He's tough as nails. He's only had, I think, two 100-yard rushers in his whole career in Detroit. Like, two guys who have run for 100 yards in two games in all of the games he's played from Detroit, right? So he's constantly playing from behind, constantly playing with no running game. Their defense has been atrocious for the majority of his career, which is crazy because all they do is hire defensive-minded head coaches. But like he's been the reason that they've been somewhat relevant or had a shot at trying to make a wild card game every year because of his talent. So you look at you know some of the potential landing spots this offseason and their dream scenarios. I mean, the two teams that you keep hearing are you know San Francisco because it seems like you know I don't think it's that the marriage with Jimmy G isn't working and Kyle Shanahan doesn't like him, but he can't stay healthy. I mean, that's the biggest concern about Jimmy G is can he play 16 games? Can he stay healthy? But 
if you're telling me and I'm the 49ers and I have that run game, that defense, if I can have a guy like Matty Stafford can chuck the ball 65 yards down the field, that's an upgrade. Another team is LA. Like the fact that Sean McVay got the Rams to play the Packers in the playoffs, when you look at like how inept Jared Goff has been in big moments and in crucial drives as your quarterback, you get him a guy like Matty Stafford. I mean, that's a match made in heaven. And then you look at a team like the Colts who you know, the biggest question mark this year was Phillip Rivers. They have a great offensive line. They have a really good running game. Jonathan Taylor, I think we both said pregame was, you know, should have been the number one back taken. He looked like a superstar this year. They have a really solid defense. So if you can get a guy like Matty Stafford there, you know, that's going to be intriguing. I think New England may make a run at him. I'd rather see him go to the Niners or the Rams because I think they're more ready to compete. But, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are going to be calling Detroit over the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure. I mean – I think he's been a guy that's proven himself. Um, I know in the beginning of his career, he was like the youngest quarterback to ever throw for 5,000 yards in a season. And, um, you know, look, a lot of people are like, oh, well, he had Megatron. It's like, yeah, I understand that. He had Megatron for what? Four years, five years, not definitely more than four years, but probably like five to six years. Um, and, And we all know this, like, receivers are great. Having a number one receiver is great. I'm not anti having a number one receiver. Like they do make a difference, but they're also not guys that are going to necessarily translate to like multiple wins for a franchise. I mean, look at Julio Jones. I mean, I think Julio Jones is the best receiver in the league and has been for at least the last five years. And Atlanta, other than their Super Bowl run has been on a below, a below average team. So, um, and I'm not saying it's all on Julio. I'm just saying in general, like, I think that you can easily make the case that like it's great having a number one guy to go to, but it's not necessarily going to change the fortunes of your franchise. And, um, you know, I think the stat you brought up was phenomenal. You know, he's really had no running game in Detroit. Defensively, they've been subpar. Like they've, he's never had an elite defense. I mean, Detroit historically is a horrible franchise. I mean, both the two stars outside of Stafford that they've had in their career uh, you know, Calvin Johnson, and then they had Barry Sanders, like both of them retired young, like before people thought they would retire because they took such a beating for a franchise that was so bad. Like they were bad. I think, I mean, Stafford, I think has been to two playoffs, you know, in 10, 10, 11 years. So look, he's still young. You know, I think Tom Brady's proven. And again, we talked about this also, not every quarterback is going to be able to play to 43. And I'm not saying that Stafford will have the ability to do so. But I think that when you think about Stafford um, at 31, like there's no reason he can't play another five to seven years. Like there's, there's just no reason he can't. So, I mean, look, if you can get seven years out of him, I mean, that's great. I mean, the Broncos got four from Peyton. And I think at the time Peyton was 35. So, like there's no reason you can't double that with Stafford at 31. So I would love, and I think if you can even get like four or five, like if you're the Rams or you're the Niners and you tell me, Hey, you have Stafford for four years and then you can get out of the Jimmy G contract and you can get out of the Jared Goff contract. Or I think for Jared Goff, you can for sure trade him for something. Cause he was a first overall pick. So like you, we talked about Dwayne Haskins a few weeks back, like, Hey, what do you think about, you know, the Steelers, you know, signing him when, you know, the scandal that happened in Washington? It's like, oh, well, you know, when you're a first round quarterback, you normally get multiple spots. And so it's like someone's going to try to see if they can make Jared Goff work. If Jimmy G, 
you know, if the 49ers go a different direction, I'm sure a guy like Bill Belichick who was really high on Jimmy G or somebody out there is going to, you know, give you a third or a fourth form. So if you're the Rams or the Niners, you can get Stafford. You know, you can use the next four years to get a guy you like in the draft, you know, in the second round, third round, and kind of groom him for when Stafford's done, and then you may not hit a beat. And so I think that's what's so good for those two teams, especially, or even if you look at the Colts, where if you can get this guy in here for the next four years, it will give you an opportunity to kind of groom the next guy, and you can continue to try to be dominant in your division. Yeah, no, great point. So I think I would love to see L.A., or you actually brought up a wild card that I think would be awesome. But New Orleans would be really intriguing because of Sean Payton. And, I mean, he's so different from Drew Brees, and yet he got, I think, the absolute most out of Drew Brees. And, again, that's not to say that I – I think, look, Drew Brees is unbelievable. I mean, he's the most accurate quarterback I've ever seen in my lifetime, probably that's ever lived or played in the NFL. So I'm not trying to say that Drew Brees is not talented. He absolutely is and deserves every credit, every bit of credit that he gets. But him and Sean Payton, you know, came together in 2006, um, you know, when Drew was a free agent and went to New Orleans. And that was Sean Payton's first head coaching job. He was with the Dallas Cowboys previous to that. And um, I, but I think Sean Payton is so unbelievable as a play caller and, uh, you know, getting his players in positions to be successful. And so if if Stafford can get Alvin Kamara and even though I'm not super high on Michael Thomas, he's still, he's still a good player. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, um, they've got some guys, they've got a lot of speed on the outside. And so their defense is great. He's never had that. I just think that could be a really, really, really good fit. You know, like you said, everybody's talking about the Rams or the Niners, which is obvious because of McVay and Shanahan. Um, I don't get the Washington deal. I understand that, you know, in the front office, there's connections there. Um, I know I think it was like the GM is um, or somebody in the Washington's front office was with the Lions. But at this point in his career, he he, and he's already said it. Um, I know Adam Schefter reported on it, but he wants to go to a contender. He's not going to want to go to a team like Washington who – I think is a good football team, but they're not contenders. Like if you get Stafford, the Washington football team is not a contender for a Super Bowl next year. They're just not. But if you go to the Rams or you go to the Niners, because, you know, a lot of their defensive player personnel were, were injured this past year. So it's like you go there, they're healthy again. You go to the Rams, you go to the Saints. Um, I love all of those fits. So we'll have to see this one unfold. I think the Saints would be – I think would be so interesting about the Saints, let me just butt in before we wrap up, is, you know, for the Saints offense to get Stafford and have that vertical threat ability offensively, I think that would be so fun to see because, to your point, Drew Brees is an all-time great quarterback, but he's never had – you know, probably top 15, top 20 arm strength from the quarterback position. And so how he's dissected defenses is how accurate he is, his timeliness and all those things. So if you give Peyton a guy like Stafford, who is an accurate quarterback, but he also has that gunslinger ability where, you know, you don't have to sub Jane, um, what's his name? Um, Jameis Winston in for a trick play because Stafford can get the ball 60 yards down the field it's actually going to be harder to play the Saints next year because, you know, going into that matchup, 
the Bucks knew we don't have to worry about getting beat over the top. We don't have to have safeties play high center field or a cover two. We know we can play man, bump, and run because Breeze isn't going to challenge us vertically. And that's what's been so impressive about what the Saints have done for the past decade or so is there's never really been that vertical threat scare when you're playing them, right? You know everything's going to be in front of you, but Sean Payton is such a great head coach that he's figured out ways to get his players in positions and still win a bunch of football games. So if you get him a guy that can actually take a shot over the top and make the defense be on their toes, that Saints team is better next year if they get a guy like Stafford, which is crazy because Drew Brees is probably a top 10 quarterback in the history of football. That's facts, man. Well, that's going to wrap things up for episode 66 of the DNC podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DNC Podcast. We appreciate the support. We'll see you guys Friday. Have a blessed one.